Okay, so we're recording, and we have Joe Spanier here. Uh, Joe's, uh, God, I've known you for now four, three, some amount of years, right? You. Since you've been, since, yeah. <laughs> since you've been doing River City Labs, and um, I knew you when you were still at Caterpillar, I think, and yeah, and doing River City Lab, uh, River City Labs things, and um, and. Uh, and uh, oh, what's it called now? The Peoria Arts Festival is called. Uh, uh, it, uh, it's called Ignite Peoria, and Ignite Peoria. Yeah, and then we have a a part of it called Midwest Maker Fest. Midwest, which was its own thing at some point, and I I believe I went to when it was uh, still in its infancy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I hope that's a that's a that is a no. It's a good- that is my, that's a good segue. That's a nickel tour of of your of your introduction, and I'm sure you have more to add. What actually, before we we move forward, what what do you want to add to that list of of things of starting River City Labs and working at Caterpillar and starting a Maker Fest, all that stuff? What, what am I missing? You know, I I don't even know. It, it's so hard. I every time I I do an intro like this, I miss things, and about ten minutes later, I'm like, oh, I should have said this. Um, Sure. But give a little bit of background about myself. I am an engineer by trade and I'm an engineer by drive um, or an engine nerd. Um, the, an engineer. Yeah. What is it? What's the difference between an engineer and an engineer? Yeah. Um, there's engineers that they engineer for a paycheck and then they go home and they watch the football game. And then there's uh, engineers that engineer for a paycheck and then they go home and they stay up till two in the morning on the thing that's driving them. And then they uh, go to work with no sleep and uh, then they, they do it all over again every day. And that's okay. where I land. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I've been doing that for like 18 years now. Um, 18 years. Yeah. And this is since what? Since since uh, I, I know you got your undergraduate degree in engineering as well, yeah. right? Uh, uh, is that is that like right out of school? Eighteen years of of, of uh, engineering and and engineering. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I started <laughs> all of that while I was still in school. I actually I, I spent like seven years in college. I changed my major like six different okay. times. I was an art major. I was a biology major. How how many years were you an art major for? Uh, two. <laughs> two it, years. In, what, in what, just out of curiosity, you know, as much as you what, can. Major. Well, but still, but that's your that was your interest. What what like strayed the interest from the arts, which is in almost the complete opposite of engineering in some ways. Not that they're both they're they're both creative, but they 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 approach things from the different end of the spectrum. They do. When it comes to uh, what's so what 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 caused that like that rift? Um, well, I don't know. I uh, oh well, I, I guess I can say um, I started. Uh, <laughs> I got a car, and as you do when you're okay. 18 and you're into cars, uh, but you don't know how engines work, I started tearing it apart and putting car audio things into it. And that led okay. me into hanging out in a car audio store constantly, which led to a job as a car audio installer. And I did that okay. for 
four years and um, got really, really passionate about it, got very into loudspeaker design and just the electronics behind everything. And that drove me to like, you know, I should be an electrical engineer. I really, really mm. like this stuff. And I can always mm. be an artist on the side, but this stuff is, I'm super passionate about this right now. Um, you'll find this be a theme as we talk as I get into something yeah. new and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to dive head first into this and then uh, become yeah. as much of an expert as I can. Um, and oh, go ahead. If, yeah, go ahead. It, well, if I could offer, I think one of the things that seems similar about both of those things, art and, and engineering is uh, both are trying to understand different kinds of systems you're just approaching it from different methodologies. Art is approaching systems from, you know, what cultural systems or what are we, what are we kind of trying to understand in the, in the, in the metaphorical sense of the world. And engineering is trying to understand man-made systems and, and to harness natural systems. And, but there's, there's still a fundamental need to, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they're, you know, you're a creative person. You just found a different way to be creative and to understand and play with systems. That wasn't art. It's, yeah. it's engineering or, or whatever else it may be. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, um, it's really just kind of where my interests fell. You know, I was in high school, I was heavily focused on art and I was a decent artist. And then that just kind of translated into college. And then, um, as I got deeper and deeper into the car audio and figured out that, you know, I really could be an engineer. My, my grandma told me my whole life that I was going to end up being an engineer. Like from the time <laughs> I was four, I was taking things apart in their house and, you know, trying to put them yeah. back together. That never happened. But, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where that ended up. But, you know, I never lost the art side. I was the, the kid, in the engineering classes that was still toting around a giant art portfolio because I was always had at least one art class on my docket and all my engineering teachers would look at me like I was a weirdo because I was dragging all this around. Yeah. They, just, they, they couldn't wrap their mind around it. So. Yeah. I've got this, I've got this weird theory that um, there are different, a lot of the people that I talk with on this podcast and just associate with in general, all explore some component of playing with systems that are assumed to be static. So like um, I, I got hired at DePaul for teaching game design and game designers create playful experiences that allow you to question, um, question normative rules uh, in a very low stakes environment. You, know, you can question power structures and all these things, right? Um, I, I hang out with uh, hackers, and, I, and by hackers, I don't mean like hackerspace hackers or hardware hackers, but like uh, infosec hackers. And hackers have a, a, a similar playful perspective to software. It's something to be intentionally um, penetrated and, and like played with and not like left yeah. to be. And then, so, so you've got like on the game, on, in, the, in the game design sense, You've got play to modify cultural systems. On the on the hacker side, you have play to modify digital systems. And then on the maker side, you kind of, or in the engineer side, you have 
play to modify physical things to like call into question the the physical things around us and i digress probably except that it all it all comes back to like playfulness and a willingness to question things around you art does that you know all these things do that and and so i wonder you know to kind of digress and get back to the point and and the way i usually start this whole thing out is by asking people what they're personally working on right and the reason I ask that is because I think it gives some insight into what things you're currently questioning. Um, and I don't want to give it all that baggage and you don't have to talk about that. But like, what is it that you're working on right now that that has nothing to do with I'm doing this for the makerspace or I'm doing this for the, the maker fest or I'm doing this for the company? Man, not a lot. Um, so one thing that I, I have dove really hard into for the last like six months is the um, I was a beta tester for the E3D tool changing 3D printer. And um, okay. that has been kind of a, a, a consuming project. And if, if you listen to our podcast, Makers okay. on Tap, uh, you hear me talk a lot, it, a lot yeah. about it. And one of the things that I am kind of obsessing over and not getting the time to work on is I want to do a uh, vision based uh, nozzle alignment system uh, with OpenCV okay. uh, and be able to pass back the nozzle offsets because there's four tools that have to be offset. And it's a real pain to get all four nozzles aligned. If you've ever done a dual color 3D printer, you understand a little bit of that pain, except for now you yeah. have four that you have to get perfectly aligned. And if I had a computer to do that for me, that'd be great. And I've been looking for a good excuse to dive into OpenCV and get a really good programming project for yeah. a long time anyway. And this is something that's like near and dear and I could finally dig my teeth into that. And I have a Pi 4 sitting here with everything loaded on it and just waiting for me to have some time to sit down and, and start diving in and start playing on it. So I kind of like have two. Well, yeah, one, we just got a raise 3D. I don't know if yep. you're familiar with these printers for the, uh, the second space that we opened at DePaul and it's got a dual extruder on it. And yeah, they don't level... <laughs> they don't level together. <laughs> uh, I can verify that. And uh, and so then you got to go manually, manually go in there with some tools and kind of do all that work. But that's not, uh, I have like, you know, 10,000 students coming through the space a year and I'm not going <laughs> to take that second <laughs> nozzle. It's fine. Nobody's going to use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I, I actually I purchased it mostly primarily for the large format printing that it does, not yep. for the dual extruder. Dual extruder was like a, it's, it's a yeah. healthy bonus, I suppose. Um, but, but the second thing that I find interesting is that <laughs> your personal projects are deeply linked to the projects that you, yes. your professional things, right? The, these two things are not separate. I, I read, I, I don't know where I read this recently, but it's from a, I follow a lot of things on RSS, which most people don't do these days. And so kind of like as information feeds through, I don't remember where to ascribe it to, but it, it's information right. that I intake anyways. And it was this, one of the blogs I read, the guy is out in, let's say Jamaica somewhere. And um, he's 
actually down in the lobby working uh, on his vacation. And this couple walks by him and says, how sad he's working on his vacation. And he, he says to himself, how sad that the only way that they think of vacation is having to set two weeks out of their year aside. And that is specifically when they can have fun. And then the fun stops there. And the, the point is that like he's working and enjoying it and he, his life and his work are in some way intertwined in a, in a satisfying way. And so it's, it sounds like it, I, I hate to like assume things here. What is it? Why is your, why are your fun endeavors that you're doing outside of work related to the work that you do? Um, I don't shut off easily. So, um, okay. (laughs) Okay. So here's how I got into making and CNC work and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so I was, um, sort of the engineer that I was talking about, except for, uh, I was a CNC programmer in Caterpillar and uh, I also did some CAD stuff and some robot programming and I really, really enjoyed that. But on the side, I was at home and at the time I was very interested in breeding cichlids. So the little African fish, right? Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah. Why? Why? What, what was what? What what instigated? I want to come back. To, I don't want to like oh, no. lose the train of thought here. But I'm interested in how because you're, you you said you get interested in things and then you yes. just go off on these vectors. So I want some insight into how that how this happened, and then we can move from that to so, moving on from uh, my whole life. I've yeah. been into uh, reptiles and fish, and uh, um, like since I since I can remember, I've had lizards and fish and stuff in my life, and uh, I. I found a a few species of African cichlids that were really cool and they were easy to breed and setting up uh, breeding systems and tanks and being and setting up the filtration systems for Mm. like, I think I had 17 tanks going all on one big filtration sump that I built Mm. everything that really scratched the engineer itch and it was really fun to breed all of these and like see all all these systems work together. And Uh, uh, so so, it's not just about building the systems. It's that things lived inside those systems, like chaos, chaos lived inside these systems and you have to what respond to it. What what is it? Cause and the engineer and I work with engineers all the time. I'm not an engineer. There's order. (laughs) <laughs> their, their order must but the artist in you is not the that the, there's two different things right because you're you, you're not an you call yourself an engineer so so there's there's yeah. not it's not just about order it's about embracing the chaos maybe uh, yeah. yes yeah there if you if you come hang out with me for a few days you'll know there's no order no. Ever. i mean you got kids um, we, we know how this goes <laughs> yeah order just means that there's room for more chaos right. yeah Right. There's the order means there's now time to do something else and that something else can be filled with something else that's interesting and fun and um more chaos. I I I am the Pete Vankman of engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Okay. Is this the first time you've used that or is this the is is this a line that's been it, it's come up a couple of times. Okay. I was not the one that originated it, though. Somebody else said it, and I don't remember who it was. Uh, 
so so you're you're but you're 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 okay so you're progressing through this path and uh, you know you're you're working on this project we we left off with the, the fish project but yes but but it, it gives me some insight now and hopefully other people into like your you're ex, you're exploring trying to with playing with order and chaos simultaneously yeah um, it, which is interesting but go ahead continue your I, I i hate to take you off track oh no it's it will yeah. happen a lot uh yeah. <laughs> um so i i'm sitting here and i'm obsessing over this new filtration system that i'm trying to design and trying to understand how all the gravity feeds are going to work and the siphons and then i sit down and i'm like i have spent a good portion of my work day on this I have to figure out a way to care more about my job. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder if I made parts of my job, my hobby, if I would be better at my job. And mm -hmm. uh, so then I, I started trying to figure out, you know, how, how could I do that? And, you know, try as I might, I couldn't make making tractor parts interesting. It, as much as what I was doing really was interesting. It was, I wasn't, you know, I, I was writing the programs and making sure the robots worked because that's what my boss wanted to do, not because that was there was like an overall driving factor to get 30 more tractors out that day or something like that mm -hmm. in my head. Mm -hmm. So um, I started doing research on what it would take to build my own robot arm mm -hmm. and uh, understand that from a systems point of view, understand that from uh, electrical point of view and be able to you know, build this robot arm. And uh, this was probably nine years ago. Okay. Uh, no, it was earlier than that. This was like 2007, 2008. So like robot arm kits didn't exist. Yeah. Um, the Rep Rep project hadn't started yet. And there's no Adafruit. Yeah, yeah there's no Adafruit. <laughs> um, you know, everybody's still scrounging motors out of old printers and buying salvage parts off of eBay and, you know, running Linux distributions. There's no Gerbil. There's no, there, Arduino had just come out right around this. So they were starting on the path of making yeah. things being accessible. Yeah. And, um, so I, I started diving down that road and I was talking to one of the machine maintenance guys. I had a machine shop at home. I was like, you know, what do you have? How could I have something like that? Where could I acquire a machine? Could I have a CNC mm -hmm. machine at home? And he was like, you should look at these Sureline machines. And he spelled it wrong and I couldn't figure out. <laughs> I, I looked on the internet for weeks and this was before you could even import or like carry bookmarks on Google Chrome between computers. So I just had a Google doc that had links to all these sites that would mm -hmm. ended up being like 15 pages long. So I could like travel between my work computer and my home computer. Cause I got really obsessed over this. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you're noticing a trend now, right? Uh, well, obsession. Yeah. 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 So I, like it I, uh, I ended up building a CNC router at first, uh, from plans that I found on the internet. I think it's called a Rockliff machine, which it looks a lot like a Prusa i3. Uh, mm. Fixed gantry, very stiff, and built my first CNC router out of that. And 
Uh, that was kind of where everything started. Uh, I had found a company oh. locally called Probotics. They're now in Florida. They just moved a couple of years ago. Uh, they had a, a huge helping in ha- helping River City Labs get started. They still make really great, great CNC routers. But I went mm. and I bought their cheapest motor kit. And um, they talked me out of using Mach 3 and into using Linux CNC. So then I got to go down the Linux road. I I had yeah. used Ubuntu once before that. And now I now I really enjoy Linux. Uh, but this 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 was kind of like a whole snowballing pattern like yeah. 10 years ago. Man. So that's uh, there's an interesting parallel there. Uh, this guy that um, the first makerspace that I started with a couple other friends of mine, um, like 11 or 12 years ago was Workshop 88. And one of the first guys who um, started uh, started out with us even before we had a space, his name was Ed Ford. And Ed Ford is the guy who designed, uh, who made the Shapeoko design. Okay. Um, and, um, and so I remember in my dining room, he brought like the very first, like the only Shapeoko that existed ever at the time. And he was showing it to me and trying to explain it to me. And he's probably a little disappointed because I had, uh, you know, we were running this new thing on in itself, which is a makerspace, and everybody's like, "What the fuck is that?" Yes, I'm scrambling to explain what that is, and and then I got people showing up with these other things, and I'm like, "I got, <laughs> you know, we want to run a near space balloon project." I've I've got I don't understand what everything else is that's happening. Yeah, because there's a lot of things happening, like 10, 12 years ago. It was that, an exciting um, time. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, unless you unless you really had time to stop and look around. Unless you like had, had had nothing else to do but document what was happening, which I think very few, if any, people did. There's it was impossible to capture the different things that were popping up everywhere uh, in in its entirety. Yeah. You you can only get a snapshot of it. But anyways, so Ed joins our our space, and he's got this Shapeoko thing, and that's gone on to be, I I think fairly successful, right? Yes. Uh, you know the Inventables design is. I think still built off of it with the inclusion of Bart Dring's, you know, gantry and stuff like that. And, and then Shapeoko works with uh, carbide 3d, but I think the interesting thing about that and about what you're talking about is that, you know, in the case of Ed, um, I got to know him through this community that we were creating. And when you're talking about um, uh, getting involved um with uh, 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 what did you say? Pro 3D, right? Uh, probiotics. Uh, probiotics. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally. Anyways, but but it's <laughs> trust me. The idea still remains. Which you get involved with probiotics, but it was then you talked about how the community kind of pushed you in a certain direction and into you know towards Linux and all these other things. Not pushed you, but guided yeah. you, right? And so and so it's like this interesting interplay. Um of these maker culture things that are, it's not just about machines at all. And in fact, it's probably less about machines than it is about the communities around these things, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wonder what the influence on the communities that you're involved in, whether it's river city labs or whether it's, um, 
you know, the, the open source communities that you're involved in. Um, I don't know what, to what degree do you ascribe, um, you know, all of this maker stuff to um, the technology and the machines that are happening. And, 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 and on the other hand, to um, the community, or is that a false dichotomy or what's the, what's, what's your sense of that? The, I feel like the community is in a weird spot now. Um, mm. Cause we had, and I'm going to, I'm going to get old guy here for a minute, but like sure, you know, yeah. 10 years ago or even six years ago, um, we had these, everybody who was deep into the community had to really work for it. Uh, even though the, the information was freely available, the tech wasn't easy to use yet. Um, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't easy to use and it wasn't cheap like it is now. Uh, when we, when we talk okay. about things like CNC machines and 3d printers and, even uh, things like uh, camera drones and stuff, they were at a price point where they were still prohibitive. And yeah. it kind of made you, it kind of weeded people out on like, if you were going to spend seven to $2,000 on a 3D printer or a CNC machine, it was because you really wanted it. And because you were, interested enough to lay out that amount of money knowing that you might fail and work through the problems. And now you have 3d printers and super low cost CNC machines pop up on discount impulse buy sites like Woot for 150 bucks. And then that brings in a whole nother level of the community that, um, has these super high expectations that don't have the patience, <laughs> I think, mm. or, or sure, don't sure. have the uh, drive that that price point made you have to join the community. Sure. Sure. I mean, you see this with like all new technology yeah. though, as it goes through this phase where, uh, you know, there are people who are adopting it, who don't, you know, whether it's the microwave, you know, and, and the microwave used to be a thing that cost $700 and not everybody could own. And then it became a thing that everybody could own. And we started putting tinfoil in it and setting homes on fire, and, you know, <laughs> yes. whatever, whatever else happens. But what do you think about like the class of user who's not the person who's buying the, the, the cheap things off of Woot, but, and, but yet is also not the person who understands you know, who intentionally is going out to buy this $3,000 3D printer, but maybe I'm a teacher uh, at a K-12 school and I want to buy five 3D printers and I can't afford that $3,000 thing because I didn't get a grant for it. So I've got, I can spend, you know, let's say 300 to $500 a unit. You know, that's the, that's the space that interests me the most because I think that that is a deserving yes, group. Yes, totally. But, and yet, and yet... Perhaps not the most, they are educated in, in educating, but not necessarily educated in the hazards of, um, you know, hot plastics melting and the particulates that go into the air or laser cutters and the fumes and the particulates that go in the air or the odors. So what do we do about, what do we do about this whole class of people who, uh, 
I mean, every, you know, ultimately it would be nice if everybody got involved in a safe, right. uh, in a, <laughs> I don't know how to put this in a very, in a, in a safe and responsible manner, you know? So it's like, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on that because yeah, I, it has changed a lot in the last 11 or 12 years. What's the, what is the way forward? The way forward, man, I don't know. I, I, I feel bad for <laughs> those teachers that are in that spot, it, honestly, because what the teachers yeah. that end up coming in and talking to me, what it seems like happens to them is somebody is like, we got this grant to buy five 3D printers and I'm putting one in your classroom and you're going to learn how to use it and you're going to teach your kids how to use it. And by the way, you're not going to get any extra time. And we're also going to add two other things to your curriculum. Have fun. And they, right. Right. Some of these teachers are like, I just learned how to use email last year. I don't know how to use this thing either. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I would say that there's like a, an open spot oh, yeah. in the market for somebody like, me that is very versed in these things and can teach it but then there would have to be money in the market to like compensate that and right yeah in the, ed in the education market i just want to add that <laughs> modifier <Yeah. laughs> which means so there's no money for that either <laughs> and um yeah. you know i've done a couple things with private schools that did have funding and you know, those were really great. Yeah, those were really great experiences. I got to go meet some super right. cool kids and, you know, be a professional maker for a couple of days and try to drive inspiration and um, right. try to teach the faculty uh, proper expectations for these tools. And like, you know, and that I think went really well, but the private schools, especially the private schools around me don't have the funding to bring people in to do that. And I wish I had the time to volunteer all of that, but it's an insane amount of effort. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the, 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 the greater risk when you're talking about like the risk of, or not the risk, but you know, what's changed in the last 11, 12 years, where are we headed from here? You know, if you look at What's changed, yeah, you're right. Everything's become easier to acquire. And primarily, in my mind, the threat is not that random people are acquiring these things and not understanding them. It's that institutions, schools, libraries, museums are buying these things and they are considering them failures because they're not seeing success because they can't understand them. One individual complaining about a 3D printer, I mean, yeah, good luck. You know, go on Amazon.com and complain <laughs> about this stuff. You know, nobody's going to care. But if you've got, you know, the school district of, you know, I, name Peoria, Illinois or whatever else saying, hey, this maker stuff isn't working. We bought a bunch of 3D printers. They yeah. all crapped out on us. And now here we are. That is the that is the the, the more resounding um, um antithesis of, of, of or, or, or detraction of what we've been trying to do. You know, it's the, it's the, the, the failures of, of large institutions to grasp what's happening. 
And so I worry about that a lot. And as you're talking about it, I, I hear a lot of commonalities too, is like, what, how, how do we, get, you know, yeah, $15,000 just comes out of a corner somewhere. Somebody <laughs> finds it in a bag. That's, that's how it I seems mean, like it comes. If you could, <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, and then you have to, you know, and then the person who brings in the bag is like, and you got to spend it now. <laughs> Otherwise it's, I can't, it's yeah. not going to exist anymore. And, and then they buy these things and they don't, you know, they don't work. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of consulting where that's happened where, you know, the 3D printers failed or teachers were getting sick in one instance, oh, wow. you know, just all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, well, but so how do you, so, so here's a, here's a, here's the kind of the question I'm, I'm driving at. On the one hand, you have these large institutional expectations of how things ought to be. We need good scores. We need things to run well. We need to reduce risk. And then on the other hand, you have our culture, which is uh, the name of this podcast. This should work. Like, I guess it's going to be okay. And we're just going to see what happens. How do you, how do you reconcile? Yeah. And, and you worked at Caterpillar. So there's a connection there. How do you reconcile that large institutional baggage that leans away from hazard and, and whose employees, including teachers and so forth, live under that? How do you reconcile that with like playfulness and exploring and questioning systems in a way that satisfies both groups? Or can you? You, you find the special ones. <laughs> So when I was at CAT, okay. I, I introduced desktop printing. Like I, I, I'm not going to say I was the first because CAT's a big place and I don't know, but I was one of the first to drive desktop printing at a corporate level. And, you know, I, I went to facilities all over the U S uh, I didn't end up going into uh, different countries. I was planning to go to Italy and that didn't happen, but I went all over the U S and hmm. brought open source three printers. I brought Lulz bots to these facilities and I trained people on them. And I always looked for the one person in the room that was yeah. the most excited. And I'd focus on yeah. them because that was that facilities me. And <laughs> I hoped. And that yeah. would be the person that would drive it after I left. They would end up being my contact point, whether they were my official contact point or not. You know, they would be the people who troubleshot the printers. They would be the people who uh, drove the the message of what we were trying to get across, which was that if you give engineers the power to make their own things and you put the creation of their projects in their hands, they'll care more. And common thread right i yeah. i needed a way to find a way to care about my job so i started yeah. making things and i turned that into a right. career path and which is like teaching people about why there's apathy and there's this disinterest in you know making boring things like seat cushions and uh clamps you know yeah but once you say well you know your prototype process is no longer email the STL file over here and wait two months to hear back if it's okay. Your prototype process is now go over here right. and get the software, hit print, and in 24 hours or so, we'll have a part that you can hold in your hand and you can go do your fit-ups and you can make those changes 
and have complete control over that process. And very rarely did I meet people mm. that were like, nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I met people <laughs> that got frustrated. Right. And that was fine. Uh, frustration means sure. you care, right? Right. If, if, you, if you're not frustrated and it's not yeah. working, that just means you don't care. And you know, Whatever. You're, you're never going to help them. But <laughs> you might eventually. But huh. the ones that get that got really yeah. worked up and got frustrated, those were the ones that were fun to help because you know, they cared. They wanted it to work. They wanted to be a part of their project. So you know, we went through the process of learning about why things failed and why their parts weren't working. And you know, sometimes in that process, we found out things about their parts that just weren't going to work. So, but if you're interested in how things work, what is the connection to teaching? Why do you care about sharing that with other people? I know plenty of people who are perfectly happy with understanding how a thing works. And then that's it. That's the end of the journey. Right. But you're talking about um, having a, a drive to go out to different places and share them after you learn how a thing works or you learn how systems work share that with other people and there's a, a yes, difference there there's a difference so so like to go back to the community kind of aspect as well what why why even care what what's the you'd waste a bunch of time telling all these people things that they might not even care about and then you go back and you sit down and you look at yourself in making the mirror me question and, my life choices you know, what's the what, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I teach for a living, so if you're just you know, like, um, <laughs> but what, because it why? matters. I, yeah. I everything that I have hit a point where I cared enough to become even mildly smart at, I ended up teaching it. Um, I've taught fire performance arts. I've taught yoga. Uh, I'm a registered yoga instructor. Um, I I taught. <laughs> okay, what? Sure. Pause a second. Yeah. Or certi- certified yoga instructor. CYT. For, for... Yeah. Okay. So that means that you can. That means do, that what, I can, what can you go do? work in a yoga studio as a, as a yoga instructor. And I did that for six years. I, I, you know, I, I did not know that that was a thing that you needed in order it's to teach not, other people. I, I had no idea. It's smart to have. Okay. I did it for two years without it. And then I, well, uh, sure. then I, then I, I went right. through the training. It's 200 hours of training and figured out that sure. that was a really bad plan. And I should have done that first, but. Well, you're teaching people to discombobulate their bodies and like, then recombobulate them. And there's some amount of like <laughs> wanting to yeah. know where the muscles are not going to murder each other that i would imagine yoga is more just so recombobulating it's recombobulating into <laughs> in, in interesting ways sometimes sure. but you know uh, i my, my whole life i've been driven to share i i don't i don't know um yeah because that's part of river city labs that's part of yeah um maker fest that's part of going into different sites and and teaching other people things. Yeah, that's your hobby, and so you're trying to make your what you enjoy your job. But at the same time, 
you're also trying to make yeah. teaching people things your job. And I do it for free know? too. It's not just and, money. <laughs> and, and so, right, right. Well, right. Well, that's right. And that's what, right. River City Labs is not like, as, as we all know, you know, makerspaces, if anything, are a take my money, please right. endeavor. Take not my a, time, please. <laughs> I'm going to make money. <laughs> and right. You, you, you do it. You do it out of out of um, yes. love of community in in some way, and so all of your engineering experiences. Not all. I'm I'm making broad sweeping statements here, and that's not right. I can I'm connecting a lot of the things you're talking about in your engineering experiences back to how do I how do I take this thing that I yeah. learned and share it with other people. And you've talked about systems a lot and how understanding systems is important. So I I can't, I have to imagine, this could be me projecting, that there is some joy, some interest in in showing people what is uh, is possible in in uncovering possibility spaces. And I don't understand why. (laughs) I, I don't understand, one, what the... Um, wh- I have not ever figured out where the interest in understanding how everything works comes from. Yeah, I have okay. the same compulsion. I don't understand it. And two, then then I, I don't understand why after you understand the thing, you want other people to understand it. It's an advantage. You get it. Why, why share it with other yeah. people? You win more if you know more than them. But, That's the common thinking. Wait, at least. Funny story. Well, I just won our local axe throwing league and the whole time we're in the tournament i'm like coaching my competitors i'm like if you do this it'll stick better if you do this i i don't know man uh okay everything's better when everybody <laughs> wins no and you weren't doing that to get in their head you weren't doing i was getting their head. genuinely mad like a, i won uh, you know <laughs> um okay Okay, somebody they're not like three feet away from the hole about to put it in, no. and you're like, you know, <laughs> if you just <laughs> no, okay, all right, just make it sure. So you what know, is it then? A lot of What's it is the... I I want everybody to be better than me, uh, because if uh. everyone's better than me, I can learn more. And a lot of times, mm. the only way that I can get the people around me to start being better than me is to start their compulsion and get their drive going. And this has succeeded once. Um, I, I, I had a friend that he started fire performance stuff slightly after me. And now he's like world famous and so much better than me. It's insane. Uh, And I've moved on to doing other things, but um, I have two friends that did that. Two friends. Fire and, and by the way, we haven't <laughs> even touched on fire performance yet, which is a whole nother avenue that um, it's, it's a, a deep, it's a brightly dark lit alley that we can go lights. Uh, <laughs> funny story though, a lot of the people in the fire performance and the circus and generally the performing arts community are engineering and maker driven people. Um, so many of them, their day jobs are mechanical and electrical engineers. It's insane. Or fluid dynamics professionals, uh, uh, just 
incredibly brilliant people. Uh, anytime you meet somebody who's the juggler, there's a good chance that they have a master's degree in yeah. something. And if they don't, they could, oh, they just chose not right. to. Like, <laughs> it, it's the people that are, yeah. are super dexterous and, and can do highly complex things with their body like that. They are almost always incredible and incredibly intelligent people. I, I, I can't think of a single one I've met that wasn't. It, it's a really weird thing. And so there's um no I don't know if you know who Claude Shannon is, uh but he's essentially the, he's okay. the person who invented bits. <laughs> okay. Like everything that we're doing right now. Thanks, Claude. Is is thanks <laughs> to Claude Shannon, is right. And um, I read a book about him recently where it opens with him at a mathematics conference. Cause he's, I mean, the people who invented bits were not comp. There's nothing to do with comp- computer science. Yeah. They're math and physics. And anyways, he's at this conference in the eighties, I think. And um, people are like, who's this old guy at this math conference? And it turns out it's Claude Shannon. And um, they ask him to go up and speak and he goes up and he begins speaking and they won't let him speak because they all finally figure out who he is. And they're all like, you know, cheering or whatever. <laughs> and so he begins juggling in front of the cloud, in front of the crowd, like this, this big academic mathematics crowd, cloud crowd. And, you know, he says something to the effect of like, this is a circus. And then he leaves. And so, yeah, I agree. Like, I think that, that, that yeah. again, goes to the playful nature of, of questioning, like, eh, this is really not that important. And this is, you know, there's, or, or I understand the importance of this and I, and, and now I mock it, you know, or it's sort of somewhere in the, in, in, in that mixture where you're comfortable with chemicals, comfortable playing with chemicals <laughs> and shooting them out of your orifices. Yes. And because you understand yes. what's happening and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, but, but why then? We're still just talking about people. Um, why share it though? It, it it all goes back to I never want to be the best person in the room. And right. So so yeah. But you said so. Okay. So you talked about like not not wanting the best person in the room and learning from other people. But why not? What what? <laughs> I'm just. I'm just throwing out the the opposite side of it, which would be like, where's the fun in that? Why not just be the best person in the room? <laughs> What's the why well, six? No, that's good. There, and I, I pose this question because of this. I get this. I get this all the time. Your makerspace um, is great. Seems to be a lot of cool things happening here. Like what's the entrepreneurial thing that you're doing here and how are you bring, I, I don't know uh, if you guys heard that, but it was just and, an insane. Um, you know, what are your people that just came out of me? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But you have to have heard this as well, or at least I hear this both in, in the academic makerspace area where I have, you know, business people coming and asking me these things as well as in at space lab. And, and so the question goes back to like, why would you not want to be the best person in the room? Because that's what gets you to success. That's what gets you to 
in the, I'm just kind of channeling the energy here. That's what that's what gets me to delivering my product and being the best on the market and no competitors is 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 uh, closing out the market, keeping people out, is squelching everything else that's happening. Maybe I'm being a little overly dramatic here, but why would I share anything that I'm learning then? I don't have a good answer, um, but I I definitely understand what you are what is being said to you i had one guy come in one time and he came into river city labs and he talked to everybody i I think he talked to every person in the room and he was there like four hours and he came to me at the end of the night and he said the space that you have cultivated here is absolutely incredible i've never met anybody like these people i've never seen anything like this space i've never seen anything like this gathering why don't you just start a company with all of these people? Like you have this incredible brain trust here. You can do <laughs> anything with this. And I was like, yeah, we could. Um, right. I built an eight foot tall 3d printer over there for funsies. <laughs> Later, I'm going to hit it with a hammer. Um, right. The makerspace right. <laughs> in my mind, at least the way we built river city labs is purely for those brilliant people to blow off steam. And be able to make things for the love of creation and not have to worry about deadlines and revenue models and, you know, uh, uh, minimum viable product things. We all know it and we all could do it and we all could see could succeed incredibly well at it, but it's not what drives us or we, we, we would already be doing that. Um, I... Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I face this a lot because uh, what we're, in my mind, what we're talking um, towards is uh, the differences between creative process and manufacturing and creative process. If you want to create something new requires that you have no um, intentional constraints pushed down on you. You don't have to worry about um, delivering something to market and, and making money, uh, you're just kind of like, yeah, what it, taking a hammer and hitting it, it, your eight foot tall 3d printer. <laughs> like there's, there's, there is no intent behind it, except I think, I think this is interesting and let's see what happens, you know? And, and so there's this, this one component of, of maker spaces that it's, it is about like, um, you know, pure creativity, uh, which is interesting. And, and then though, when you put that space in an institution, like the hope is that these things spread, but the way that they spread, or at least outside of, you know, our own independent nonprofits that they spread is through institutions like schools, museums, Caterpillar, whatever. And I'll, I'll say like outright, you know, I taught that thing at Caterpillar and the biggest fear, the biggest thing that it did was it was a release valve for people who did not believe that the company would allow them to do creative things because that would be yeah. frowned upon. That'd be looked at as, as non-work. And and so then they worked in this space and they they were afraid of appearing to do non-work. So having DePaul come in and saying, here's a certification, gives it some validity right. of this is now uh, work work. But really, it's just giving them permission to something, 
that they should have been had they should have had permission to do to begin with. But all the institutions fear whether it's a school and the school takes tests, and the school fears that by giving people the freedom to do things that they won't do tests well, or it's an institution like Caterpillar where they fear that if they give people the freedom to goof around that they won't get their jobs done. You know, all of these things have to go back to like how we measure success. And makerspaces don't have a quantifiable, I don't think, I, I actually hope they never do at the heart of them. Oh, they totally measurement, do. A quantifiable measurement of success. What's, give me the, give me the number. What is the number that I can give to my administration um, that well, will measure okay. success? Nonprofit spaces like Space Lab and River City Labs have a quantifiable number. And that is whatever yeah. the total of their rent, their electricity, and their internet bills are. And sure. <laughs> did that number get met this month with membership <laughs> dues and donations? And if that answer is yes, then that makerspace is successful. <laughs> oh wait, well, but let me let me let wait let me let me. I, I agree with that on a a bare minimum. But if I, I I don't for somebody like you who loves teaching people, right? Who loves sharing information with people? I can't believe that that's the only measure of success, because beyond that, it's not just existing. It's having a positive oh, yeah. effect on the community around you, right? You wouldn't just you wouldn't be happy if like it was you and three other dudes, and that's your that's River City Labs, and it's paying the bills. Some days I would be, but there's no positive effect on that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, I, no, I wouldn't. It would drive me. You know nuts. what I'm kidding? And, I mean, um, I don't know. You know, yeah, there yeah. would be. I would constantly be going. I'm not even an officer in River City Labs anymore. And I'm still constantly trying to go find new opportunities right, for know, the space yeah. and new ways for the space to get awareness in the city, new events for us to go to. Um, you know, it's. Um, right. I don't know. I that that sharing drive is just kind of constant for me. It, it never it never goes away. It drives my wife nuts. Uh, Yeah, there's. I, I read a. Th Wait, actually, pause before I say Time. anything. Why does it drive yeah. your wife nuts? <laughs> Time. Yeah. yeah, you're spending all your time with all these people that you don't know. I've I've heard this. the 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 interesting thing about it is it's, it seems to be one of the things that empowers all of the things that we've been talking about. In other words. Up until very recently, it wasn't possible to share on the internet. Um, you could share right. ideas, but you you couldn't share physical things. And now, now you can, in a community on this ephemeral thing, share things that can become yes. not ephemeral, that, be, that can become at hand, right? And that's the the one of the interesting things about it, right? Is is that the community is interesting because um, we're sh we're sharing objects, yeah, on this fake. Well, that's like thing I, that I'm collaborating like have, on a product you know, with a friend that's in New Jersey right now, and yeah, you know, we're using a cloud based CAD system, yeah, 
and you know so he's able to see edits as i make them yeah and then i can be like all right this part's done go ahead fire up the printers hour later he's got the part in his hand he can make uh he can make observations and he can fit it up to to his finished product and say you know i like this and i like this but i need you to change this and like all these things can happen in minutes and it it's really made the world right. tiny in the best way possible yeah Right, because it's no, it's not just about. Um, I think that's the interesting thing about the community aspect. It's not just about the tech, uh, like a three D printer giving you a faster, uh, a a tighter loop to iterate on. It's it's about the fact that you can the file that you send to a three D printer can be sent to anybody else in the world. Yes, and then they and can. It, and it's not just three D printing; it's just digital manufacturing in general. And yeah, we yeah. It, it doesn't take well, sure, uh, right. a precision right, machinist sure. with a manual mill, you know, to, to kick out these parts. If you have a even slightly capable yeah. digital manufacturing shop, we can share components and have identical pieces and hours. And that's incredible, you know, right. It's all just vector art. Yeah. So is that the, and I'm, I'm trying to bring some continuity uh, here because I, I don't want to eat up too much of your time too, but is, is the, well, no, but it's, it's, it's interesting because this whole time we've been talking about, um, I, I think a couple of things, uh, creativity and art, um, how, how people find that in different aspects of practice, including engineering, and then how both of those things are in some way, um, a um, a component. They are not things in of themselves. They are components of this larger thing, which is how we share information with each other and how we share information about systems and how systems work with each other. So it's not just understanding and questioning systems and how things are made. That's important. That's just one thing. But with these, so if we're look, we're to look at like this whole spectrum of what you like to do personally. And what you what you do professionally, and then how you share that with the world, it's all this continuum that leads up to. Um, I, I I seek to understand these things so that I can pass this information on, so that other people can come to these realizations, and in doing so, I can iterate on my product with this person from New Jersey or with one thousand people in multiple places across the world, and and. So, so if I were to bring that back to like a localized understanding, like why, why stay in Peoria? Why do this work in Peoria, which is where you're at? And what is, what is it about that community that, want, that keeps you contributing to it and, and to its, its knowledge base um, and um, bringing more knowledge in from the so wider Peoria is kind of special you. in the sense that... Um, yeah, everybody that's from Peoria always complains that there's nothing to do here. And you know, Peoria is a boring place. It, and it's, it can be, but um, you know, over the years, if I have gotten into something new and wanted to share it with people and wanted more people to be involved in it, I was able to just start a community around it with 
pretty minimal effort. And um, there aren't a lot of roadblocks here to doing something like that. Uh, even if it's fire performing in the street or um, starting a makerspace, it, it was just kind of a matter of putting the intention out there and uh, finding the right people. And so far, the right people have always been here. Um, I'll probably stick around here until I hit a point where the right people aren't around for whatever it is I'm trying to do. And I can't do it remotely. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's actually been a, a question lately of should we stick around here? And for all kinds of reasons, the answer is yes. Um, for other reasons, the answer is mm. no, but we're probably sticking around here. So, yeah, it's a hard thing, right? We, you know, we're, we're, um, in the nonprofit space I'm, I'm running is moving from the town that it's been in for five years to a, a different city. Oh, wow. And the question, you know, we're, we're, we're moving to a, uh, a city called Lockport. It's like, you know, 20 minute drive from where the, the current space is at. But, um, you know, it's a question of like, are you abandoning <laughs> your community? Yeah, that is a question. Or, or are you broadening? Are you giving it more, more room to, to breathe, you know? Um, and so I've been struggling with that too, as far as not moving our, our house per se, but move, well, moving my church. Yeah. Right. <laughs> more or less, you know, like, you know, is, is we're moving our church and what does that say? If communities are our most important thing, what does that say about the heart of, of what we are? That, that's a really good question because we yeah. had that struggle when we moved our space last year. And we just moved from our yeah. downtown warehouse district that was in the middle of being gentrified to the yeah. like nicer part of town. And we just, we felt bad for that. <laughs> right. Um, right. So <laughs> moving 20 minutes away to another city, that's, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what drove the decision? <laughs> um, uh, well, there are minor playing things, f factors in that. The, the minor factors are um, it, it's less expensive. It's more space. It's more than twice the space. We're at 5,000 something square feet now for less money than we're paying now for rent. But the, that's, yeah, oh, but those are, but just reason. like we were talking about before, <laughs> those are just like, those are, you know, metrics that you can kind of toss aside at the end of the day. Yeah, we we've we we make rent, we do all these things, fine. That's good. Um, but that's not what makes me happy. The um city council and, and particularly the mayor of that of Lockport have thrown a lot of support behind makerspaces. And in fact, the mayor has raised um about fifty thousand dollars to do a feasibility study on building a park for he's calling it the maker's park and he's bringing in um local community colleges jjc which is the oldest community college in the nation he's bringing in um universities like lewis he's bringing in corporations like chevron and he's getting them all to pitch in with the idea that there's this bigger idea of of building a place where um craft 
and manufacturing and but mostly craft craft and making are appreciated and so the, the the real thing that drove our decision sorry to digress is um is that there's a vision uh in the in this community that we fit into and that we can effect greater change okay uh by being a part of somebody else's story uh than than just by creating our own trying to create our own story out of whole cloth and a community that hasn't been resistant by all means. I mean, they've been great to us here, but has not been on the level of, of, of understanding as far as what it is that we want to do, whether that's my mistake and I didn't communicate that well with them or otherwise, you know, there's less friction in, in this other city than there is. So anyways, but I digress because this is an interview of you, yeah. not of me. <laughs> so, so, um. But, but so okay, so we've 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 kind of covered the gamut a little bit here. We've we've talked about your personal stuff, which is directly related to your professional stuff. We've talked about your professional stuff, which feeds directly then into why you share these things because you're trying to understand systems and you you have this desire to share these things. So what's next? Like what's the what's the next two? You know, I, I always do these garbanzo three, five-year plans for myself that never shape up, but at least I'm thinking about it kind of things. What's on the, what's on the forecast? We're, we're in Peoria. We've got this awesome maker space that's doing this awesome maker fest. Uh, what, and, 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 you know, kind of like the roads wide open ahead, which is both frightening and, and promising. What's, what's, what's what's on the radar what's coming up what, yeah. what do you want to talk to what do you want to share with people um well so it that question is very poignant for a whole lot of reasons because maker fest mm. just wrapped uh yeah two weeks ago and uh, we just had our our like wrap-up post-mortem meeting today so mm. you know now now i have the pressure on to plan for next year's maker fest uh, and make that better. And I'm not sure how yet I've got a couple ideas, but, and then mm. we just had our one year episode for our podcast makers on tap, which congratulations, we've, which if, what's, what's the website? Where can people go if they want to uh, makers on tap.com. We're on all your favorite podcasty platforms. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but yeah, we, we've recorded 52 episodes in a year. Um, Congrats. And that was. We're trying to figure out if we're going to try and do that again or not. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was a really awesome experience. And um, I've. It's the most continuous I've ever done something like that. Yeah, every time yeah. I start a blog you'll still find like lorem ipsum throughout it. Cause I just never finished. <laughs> um, and, sure. and having two other guys, you know, we're all keeping each other accountable to make this a weekly thing. And we have listeners that care. Uh, like we had one, one of our fans showed up from North Fargo, North Dakota to maker fest just to come hang out with us. Nice. From our podcast. Did they bring you um, anything fun? Chocolate cake, uh, candies. Other no, well, you know, I'm just saying, all the way from North Dakota, and you didn't even bring us candy. I doubt doubt the I doubt the fandom all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, but no, like, uh, 
so that's been really neat. Um, so this year we're going to expand that more. Um, I'm starting my own consulting agency. Yeah. Started. Um, What's that called? Where can we find, or is that, is that findable yet? It's not findable yet. Yeah. It's called factory 42 designs. Okay. Um, it does have a logo. It doesn't have a website. Uh, how do I reach out to you if I want to, what are you doing for people and what, how do I reach out to you if I want to, if I want to engage in, are you making confectionaries for people after you travel to what's the, uh... <laughs> you don't want any, you don't want any food I make right. unless it's French toast. Then it's really good. Um, <laughs> Probably the easiest way to reach out to me right now is either uh, factory42designs at Gmail or uh, Instagram, which is nemesis.robotics. Everything that I'm making that I can post is getting posted up there. Um, A lot of what I do is uh, design consulting, um, some prototype work. I've got quite a bit of capability here i don't have any lathe capability but i can i can do quite a bit of stuff here mm-hmm. uh i am doing um software tutorials digital things like that um it's it's been interesting what it started out was uh it was going to be a furniture company between me and one of the other makerspace members and oh, yeah. Almost immediately, I got too busy to even think about doing furniture. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's It's been crazy um, where that has all gone. Like the LLC hit and then there was like invoices. And it's like, oh, this is I'm doing this. OK. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's been really fun. The, the fruits of that labor are getting released in the next week or so. Okay. Uh, for one of the projects that I can't talk about yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been really neat. You come find me at Earth, the East Coast Rep Rep Fest. There when is go. this getting released? Uh, probably like uh, <laughs> you put me on the spot here. Maybe it'll probably be released in the next three to four weeks. OK, yeah, you can come find me at Earth mid-October. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the makers on tap podcast will be there. I will be there. Yeah. You know, I, everyone asks for the three to five year plan and, um, <laughs> well, it's, bu- it's, bu- I just want to point this out by the way. It's bullshit. None of that. It actually. It's, 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 it's a question that I ask to, to segue into what are your hopes and dreams without asking what your hopes and dreams are, right? It's, you just put a quantifiable number on it. I, honestly, though, it's the same thing I tell my college students. Like you, your three to five year plan is never going to actually come to fruition, but it's at least you've thought about it. Yeah. Right? At least, you've, you know, it's better than not thinking about it because you can at least go, okay, well, you know, this isn't working as, as planned, but at least I had a plan, you know, and yeah. at least I'm moving towards something, you know, so, so, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, I apologize for putting it under that, oh, no. those constraints. It's just a, it's a way of thinking about things. That's all. Yeah. So in a recent job interview, I had the uh, interviewer asked me what my perfect job would be. Yeah. And um, my, my perfect job is a furniture company that's ran in a giant barn that's right outside my house. And it's a crisp autumn day. 
and I'm walking out, sipping my coffee. My dog's walking next to me, and we're just going to go out. We're going to work on the next table. Yeah, That's my perfect job and my perfect day, and that's what I'm working towards right now. I, I, <laughs> and I, 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 I kid you not, I had a meeting yesterday with some marketing people from, from DePaul who I, I was working with to promote our our space, and they said, what is it? that you like doing here? Like, how do we tell a story about, how do we create content around what you, Jay likes to do at this space? And I, I said, well, I don't, well, first of all, I don't really get to do much anymore because I, I manage 16 people. And, and so there's not much doing. And I hate that. And then the second thing I said is, and if I had the time to do anything here, I would do the same thing I do when I'm at home, which is I would make furniture. And I told, I, and I said, and they, I don't think this connected. I said, because it's good, honest work. And, <laughs> and they looked at me like, what does that mean? You know, what is, and, and not that they can't grasp what good, honest work means necessarily, but the, the, right. the weight, the weight on what that phrase means to me and to, I would hope, I assume to you is, is completely different. It is a good, honest, I don't know how else, it's a good, honest thing to do. Yeah. You make things that are useful, that change people's environments, that they can experience. They're pieces of art, and yet they're functional. You know, yeah. it's, it's a... man. Let's uh, let's start a furniture place. All right, let's do it. I I, right. I I just got the green light for my wife to build an outbuilding. <laughs> now I got to find funding. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think. We're at, a, we're at a little over an hour now. I put, put you on the hook for starting a furniture company with me. But I think more importantly, we've talked about a lot of interesting things that kind of memorialize. I mean, you've been involved in this stuff for a while. And so it's really interesting to hear your experiences with it and how, um, you know, your own personality connects with the things that you're doing with maker, whatever you might call it, culture, maker, I hate maker culture, maker stuff, let's call it. Yeah. Mate. so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I, I appreciate you you know coming on the podcast and and talking to me and um anytime 